And I'm going to ask our reader, if he will, to read that for us. Uh, and you'll follow in a moment how much he's going to read of the passage. Fourteen verses, not all of them going to be read, but he's going to read. And I think it's from the NIV, okay? Read for us, Steve, if you will. Thank you, sir, for the reading of the scripture. I want to ask you, are you as uh, knowledgeable of the fact as I am that uh, the three T's are tough? Have you ever noticed that? The three T's are really tough. Now, by the three T's, I'm talking about trials, temptations, and testings. The three T's are really tough. And what I'm going to do this morning is walk with you through this experience of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to see that uh, there are some principles about temptations and trials and testings that if we'll remember will be helpful for us when they come uh, our way, okay? And uh, one of the things that makes them so tough to understand and know about is the fact that in the New Testament, they're spoken of both positively... So that James says, count it all joy when you go through diverse kinds or different kinds of testings and trials and so on. Count it all joy. So uh, it's spoken of in a positive way. And then, of course, they're spoken of, temptation spoken of in a negative way, even in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the phrase is, lead us not into temptation. And so temptation and trials and testings, when you look at them scripturally, you can talk about them in a positive sense, and you can talk about them in, in a negative sense. Uh, and they're really tough to understand fully. Now, that's the reason I think Luke 4 is so significant to me personally. Because he is, the Lord is, after all, our pioneer. Do you remember two weeks ago, I talked to you from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and uh, what it takes to end well in our journey with Jesus. And we looked at the fact that you have to be willing to remove every weight, and reject every entanglement. And the last one was you have to be willing to restrict your vision, looking off unto Jesus instead of at the circumstances or even at other people. We have to have eyes for Jesus alone. One of the reasons it's so important to look off is because he's our pioneer. In fact, that Hebrews 12, 2 verse says this, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, the word author is a word that really doesn't translate well into the English language, but it has to do with um, someone who leads before or goes before, a pathfinder. In fact, Moffat and his translation said this. That verse is saying that Jesus is our pioneer, our pathfinder. 
Now, you know what a pioneer is. They're the ones who, in the early days of American history, they went from the East Coast to the West Coast, and they marked the trees, and they chipped the rocks, and they stacked the stones, all to identify a path, a way to go. And that's literally what that verse in Hebrews 12, 2 means. Jesus is our pioneer. He has blazed the trail, so to speak. He's uh, stacked the stones. He's marked the trail. And we're going to learn a lot from following him. And I can tell you it's easier when someone has already blazed a trail for us. In fact, I remember when the McMonigles uh, that are with us this morning, I didn't know they were going to be here about 30 minutes ago, but I was going to use this illustration anyway. Several years ago, Jenny and Tommy and Mary and I went to Red River to go snow skiing. And we're not snow skiers, we're beginners. And one of the unfortunate things that night, if they will remember is that it snowed fresh powder. I don't know how many inches, eight or ten inches, but, uh, you know, fresh powder is not good for skiers. And so Tommy and I got up the next morning, the girls stayed at the cabin, and we got on the lift, the first one on the lift, and we were talking. We were oohing and on and off, and I don't know whether you snow skier or not, but there are several kinds of slopes. There are the green slopes that are for beginners like us. There are the blue slopes that are for people who know what they're doing and they're skiing, and then there are the black slopes, which are for the idiots, you, you understand. <laughs> and we were on this, uh, this lift going up, and we were talking and looking, weren't really watching. We got past the greens, past the blues, and we were into the blacks. And in panic, we got off that lift, and there we looked down at this ski slope that we had to go down. And I said, uh, Tommy, you go first. <laughs> he said, oh, no, 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 Paul, you, you go ahead. I said, no, that's all right. I, you, I'll follow. He said, no, no, you go ahead. Age before beauty. I said, it can't be true, Tommy, because beauty would be going first if I go first. And we stood there and argued about it for a little bit. When all at once, somebody behind us, Tommy, you remember this, the guy shouted, and we looked and stepped aside, and this guy with a red jacket and white cross you know, and the way he skis has got to be a sin. And he went straight down that slope. He had paved the way. And I said, Tommy, I'll go now. He said, no, I'll go. I said, no, I'll go. And we stood there and argued who's going next, you see. Now, that's a little bit the way it is this morning. We're going to follow our pioneer, the Lord Jesus, as he goes into the wilderness to face the enemy, and we're going to find some principles about that testing and that trial and so on that he endured that will help us as we're on our journey with the Lord, okay? If you remember, I'm in kind of the context of the things that have meant so much to me in the 60 years of ministry that I've had, 40 of which were pastoring, but... Uh, these are the things that I've learned. Last time it was ending well and what it takes. This time it's uh, facing temptation and testing. And next time uh, we're going to talk about staying clean. But we want to follow our pioneer now and look at this matter of temptation and testing. Now, for the rest of this Bible study, I'm not going to make a distinction. I'm not going to say temptation is an enticement to sin while trials and testings are not the same thing. And that's true, but I'm not going to mention that. I'm just going to lump them together, the three T's that are so difficult, and we're going to find some principles I think that will apply to almost all of them. In fact, I think it'll be all of them. 
All right. The first thing that I want you to notice is according to the passage that was read a moment ago, our pioneer, the Lord Jesus, shows us that the three T's are uh, purposed, planned, or at least enabled to come to pass because the Lord intends for them to. In other words, God intends for us to face trials and testings and uh, sometimes even temptations. Now, let me read you the verse again that says it. Listen to what it says uh, in Luke verse 1. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face the enemy. In other words, this encounter that Jesus had with testings and trials and so on was uh, orchestrated by, intended by, the one who sent him, the Father in heaven. So the three T's are generally uh, going to be a part of our life. You can just rest assured. I don't mean to, you know, pour any cold water on anybody's joyous living as a Christian but I've got to tell you, your future is going to have something to do with trials and temptations and testings. You can mark it down. It's orchestrated in the purposes and plans of God that we face them. Now, uh, I don't jog anymore. In fact, I can't. I'm, in fact, found out this past week I'm having double knee replacement uh, over the next few months. So... Uh, I'm not going to be able to jog anymore, walk fast, I hope, one of these days. But when I was jogging, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, got up early in the motel where I was staying during a Bible conference, and I was going to jog through the little suburban neighborhood, and as I rounded the first quarter, a corner, I looked up on the porch, and there lay a German shepherd. Now, he looked asleep, but I couldn't tell whether he had a rope or a chain around his neck or not, and I had already started running, jogging, and I stopped in mid-stride. And I immediately soft-toed it backwards, turned around, and went a different direction. Now, the reason is because all joggers hate dogs. And the reason for that is because all dogs hate joggers. <laughs> you understand? Now, it's as inevitable for a jogger to face a dog as difficult as it is, it's uh, that inevitable that we're going to face the three T's. Trials and testings and even, on occasion, temptations. It's part of God's purpose and part of God's plan for us. Now, someone's going to ask, well, Brother Paul, why is that true? First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 says this. In all this, and he's just told them how they've been fortified by the Lord and strengthened for the Lord and so on. Because in verse 1 of 1 Peter 1, it says they were scattered. The Jewish believers had been scattered in Pontius and Cappadocia and all of those places. And then the writer, Peter, is telling those Christians, uh, don't worry, God's fortified you, He strengthened you and so on. And in all of these things, you can greatly rejoice because while now for a little while... You're going through all kinds of trials. These have come so that uh, your pu proven genuineness of your faith will stand at the return of the Lord. 
Now, what Peter's saying is this. Trials and testings and temptations do not cause a person to lose their faith. The scripture indicates that trials and temptations and testings only reveal whether or not what we have is a genuine faith. And then, of course, the fires of those trials will enable that faith to be even deeper and stronger so that at the return of the Lord Jesus, there will be greater praise to him. So that when we face difficulties in our life, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's wise for us to remember that the purpose of God in that is to enable our faith to grow and to develop. It'll show whether it's real or not. And then even if it's a little bit of, bit of faith or mustard seed style, that trial and that testing will purify it and burn out the dross and all the good will rise to the surface and it'll be to the glory and praise of the Lord Jesus at his coming. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Paul Bilheimer or not. Uh, he was a great author in his day. He was a friend to Mary and me. We've been with us in our uh, church and so on. And he stayed with some of our folks and he didn't want to stay in a motel. He stayed with Bill Maisie Pannell, who was chairman of my board of directors for many years. And uh, Paul Bilheimer wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And the thesis of the book was simply this. When as a believer... We face difficult times. I mean, painful times. Times that hurt beyond measure. Sometimes, maybe even the result of what we've chosen. Other times, the result of what somebody else has chosen. Other times, it's simply circumstances that nobody has any understanding of why. Paul Bilheimer says, according to the scripture, and he does a marvelous job of showing in the text the reality of this, when we face those times and when they do their work in us, our lives will be to the praise and glory of Jesus in a deeper way than we ever imagined at his coming. So what Paul Bilheimer says is, don't ever waste your sorrows by being unwilling to face them, being unwilling to have them, and even unwilling to understand God's purpose that's involved in them. And so that's the first principle that I think we're going to learn from our pioneer, the Lord Jesus, that uh, the three T's are part of God's plan and part of God's purpose for our life. The second thing is, I think we are to see in this passage of Scripture that our pioneer shows that the three T's usually come, often come, immediately after our greatest spiritual experiences. Notice what the scripture says. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan. Now, what was the Jordan to Jesus? By the way, lest I forget it, will you notice that he's full of the Holy Spirit? So when testings and trials and temptations come, don't ever get the idea it's because you're not filled with the Spirit. Oftentimes, it is the very presence of the Holy Spirit and His anointing and power that brings us face to face with some of those difficulties. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from Jordan. Now, what was Jordan? Yeah. 
is where he was baptized by John the Baptist. The word baptizo or baptism means in its actual uh, interpretation, identification. In other words, when we're baptized, we're totally identified with the elements of the water. That's why we immerse. Uh, a person uh, is immersed, it totally identifies them with the water. Uh, we're identified totally with his death, burial, and resurrection. Being identified with the water, totally under, identifies with all that Jesus is. It's to be identified. Now, when Jesus was baptized, now listen carefully, he was being totally identified as a human being with the human race. He was being identified as the second man, the last Adam. He was uniquely the God-man. And John baptized him in order for him to be identified with humanity. Then he was anointed. You remember the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, lit on his shoulder. He was identified, he was anointed, and he was affirmed. The voice was heard from heaven. This is my beloved son. Mm -mm. I'm really pleased with him. Hear everything he has to say. Man, what a moment for Jesus. Baptized, anointed, affirmed by the Father, and immediately after that, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face the devil. I've learned, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes the three T's, testings and trials and even temptation, come right after our greatest spiritual experiences. Now, Mary and I learned this together a long time ago. We started a pastor's wife seminar in the early 80s when I was pastor of First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, we invited couples from all over the country to fly in. And uh, we had about 25 couples, what we invited in, 50 people, uh, 52 counting Mary and me. We, they were there from Sunday when they came in, part of the service Sunday night, and then all day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we taught them all day long on being the pastor, the, the person, partner, and parent that God wants them to be in order to be the pastor that God had called them to be. Because you're in the ministry, there's no guarantee that your marriage and your parenting's not needing some help and so on and so forth. And so we just had some great times. Oh, man, I wish I could tell you some of the miracles that happened in those conferences we've had. We've had them over the last 30 years or so, but there, when they first started in the early 80s, it was magnificent how to be the person God wants you to be, how to be the partner God wants you to be, how to be the parent God wants you to be, and then how you can be the pastor as you teach people to be what you've learned to be. In your own family, Mary and I taught them. Mary and I. When we'd finished, they'd applaud us. You know, on Thursday, I'll never forget it. All 50 sitting in a circle giving testimony. I wish I had them recorded. I do. I mean, they thanked us. We, we all were grateful to the Lord. It was a marvelous experience. Mary and I got in the car to go home. Uh, the end of the conference, at last, it was over. They were all going to the airport. We were going home. We had the worst argument we'd had in months. We did. We did. I, you know, I don't know what she did that caused it, but we did. We had the worst argument we'd had in months. 
few months later, we had our second pastor's wife conference. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Same scenario, same thing. Closed Wednesday at noon. We got in the car, had the second word. Now, we'd had some arguments, but not as bad as that one. We began to get suspicious. <laughs> we began to realize, wait a minute. Maybe when this conference on how to be the person, partner, and parent God wants you to be is over, she'll go to the West Coast and I'll go to the East Coast. <laughs> how in the, Have you ever talked on Sunday morning and had an anointing of God, enjoyed it, and all of that, and on your way home have something happen that you wonder, what in the world went wrong with us? I mean, you know what went wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing. See, there's no problem having an argument. Did you know that? By the way, God isn't interested in how many conferences Mary and I teach about being the person, partner, and parent God wants us to be. He's interested in us learning to be the person, partner, and parent He intends us to be. And you can't be that without some uh, chafing and some working and, and so on. And ladies and gentlemen, marriage, the purpose of marriage is redemptive. God in our marriage is redeeming us from self-centeredness. And in order to come to that, we have to be brought where we're concerned about the other and uh, instead of self. And that's not easy to do. We celebrated just two weeks ago our 59th wedding anniversary. I told you then, you know, uh, we haven't got it all together. We still don't. I do, but she's still working on it. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You, you all know who's having to still work, right? The point I'm making is, is simply this. When you have great experiences with the Lord, great times with God, real revival in walking in the Spirit, don't be surprised when you have some of the worst difficulties you begin to face that you've ever faced. Why? Because God wants in the midst of circumstances, testings and trials, to build into our life the truths that we're hearing from those who teach and those who share and even in our own quiet time. He wants us to become the kind of people he's talking about in the text of this book. And so when Jesus met the enemy, it was immediately after his greatest spiritual moments. Now, I have a reason for this uh, being important to me because I just feel like it's going to be a great time teaching. I think Steve feels this way every Sunday morning, and he's right. It's a home run every Sunday morning. I mean, it's wonderful. But ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't mean that the ride is easy going home or days after but it may, by the Holy Spirit, prompt something that has been said to bring some light and shed some light on where we are. That's what God wants to do with trials and testings and so on. Third thing I want you to see is that according to this passage of Scripture, our pioneer shows us that the triple T's usually come at the point of our strength and not where we're weak. Now, notice what it says in verse 2 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, or in verse 3. And the devil said unto him, if, now this is a uh, conditional conjunction, which can mean several things, and uh, one of the meanings is, uh, and it is proven facts that it is true, and that's what it means here. The better word here is since. 
the devil's not saying, if you're the son of God, now I don't think you are, uh, but if you are, then, you know, no, he's saying, since you're the son of God, no doubt about it. I mean, the devil's convinced, if nobody else is, that Jesus was who he said he was, God in human flesh, amen? And so the devil said unto him, since you're the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now, ladies and gentlemen, always remember, Jesus never did anything he did in the 33 years that he walked on this globe in the power of his divine nature. He was willing to lay aside the power, the right, the authority, that divine nature, and as man, that's why I was baptized, identified, fully human, with the human race. You see, he faced the enemy so that the enemy tested him at the point of his strength. In other words, if the devil tested me to turn a stone to bread, it wouldn't be a temptation to me. You know why? Because I couldn't do it if my life depended on it. But Jesus could. He is uniquely the Son of God. Uniquely in fully human body, person, the Lord Jesus in the flesh. But the devil said, since you're the son of God, no doubt about it, speak the word and that stone will be torn, turned into a loaf of bread. Now you see why Jesus said the next word, the next verse, listen to it. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. Jesus was not giving a generic idea of man, although that's a good application. He was saying, as man, I'm to live submitted to the Word of God. You see, Jesus was uniquely submitted to following and obeying the Heavenly Father, so that even in the garden, when he prayed and sweat those great drops of blood, Father, if possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was fully man, yielding to the supremacy, the authority of the heavenly Father. Now Jesus received his glory that he had laid aside. On the resurrection and ascension, he is now king of kings and lord of lords. He is the God-man enthroned in heavenly places and we're seated with him in those heavenly places. But in this moment in Luke chapter 4, as fully human, he's facing the enemy and he says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so he refused the testing. But it came, and this is so important, at the point of his strength. Not where he's weak. Look, if the devil tempts me to sin where I'm weak and I fail and fall, and somebody says, you know, Brother Paul failed in this particular area where he's weak, they'll say, oh, that's just Brother Paul. You know, I mean, that's just, that's one of his weaknesses, you know. But if I'm tempted in a point of my strength, and if I yield in the point of my strength, then the world will say, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe he's not so real after all. Maybe this God that he served is not so real. In other words, when we fail at the point of our strength, great 
damage is done. One of my favorite books on marriage in my library, I got 25 years ago. The author of that book is still one of my favorite authors. And best book on marriage, how to be faithful to your wife, all that. And do you know, the time came where he fell. Where did he fall? He fell at his strength. He committed adultery. And I'm still not going to give your name, although his name's been broadcast, because his recovery was well publicized in Christianity today. And I thank God for that. He's back in the ministry. I've been on platforms sharing Bible conferences with him. Wonderful man and his wife hung in there with him and they worked through it. But my point is he fell at the point of his strength. Where was Peter strong? I'm talking about Simon Peter. What would you say his point of strength was? Do you remember how when he was faced with the arrest of Jesus about to happen, what did Peter do? He picked up a sword and he went, he charged them. I mean, he's like an idiot. He just charged the whole group. Took a swipe with that sword and cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus picked it up and said, put the sword. Listen, one thing you can say about Peter, he wasn't afraid of anybody. He had the courage of a lion. Where did he fail? A few hours later, warming his hand with a Gentile fire. One of them said, oh, I know you. You were with him. No, no. I didn't. Finally, a girl the third time says, yes, you were one of them. And with profanity, he denied that he even knew him. Where did he fail? At the point of his strength, his courage. Now, why is this important again to me personally? If you were to ask our son, Brett, or our other three children, or our in-laws, our daughter-in-laws, our son-in-laws, if you were to ask them, what is dad and mom, that's Mary and me, what is their strength? Where are they strong? I believe all four of them would probably say, they're strong in marriage and family life. That's been their emphasis. That's the strength that they built. Now, listen to me. Do you know where I believe the greatest testings will come? At the point of a marriage and family life for Mary and me. Why? I've got many weaknesses. If I fail in them, the people who know me well just say, ah, that's dad or that's papa or that's Paul. That's just, you know. But if I fail at the point of my strength, it'll bring shame to the name of Jesus and to the kingdom. Now, one of the greatest things you could ever do as a couple, or if you're not married now, or a widow, a widow, whatever, it, one of the greatest things you could do would be to get with a friend and get serious with them and ask them this question. I'm asking them to be honest. Where do you think I'm strong? And listen to what they say. Why? Well, some would say, well, you're strong at being able to make money. You've got the gift of giving. Do you know what the testings will come? At the point of your strength. In other words, if you begin to want to control how everything is used, it can cause one who's strong in his finances or her finances to stumble and to fall. Somebody else might say, well, I'm strong in the gift of mercy. That's my strength, in fact, my gift. I I'm able to be merciful. Do you know where you're going to be tested? At some point where you're going to need to stand firm, but out of fear of what someone will think or say, we will choose not to stand. 
or someone who is prophetic, that's my gift. I have a, I'm a prophetic gift. Uh, prophecy is not unveiling the future. That's a little bitty bit of it. But prophecy is unveiling what's hidden, bringing to light what's hidden. I have this inner desire to bring to light. I'm strong there. I can listen to people, counsel people, and bring to light certain things. Where do you think I'll be tested? Thinking my way is the right way. My way or the highway. If you don't do what I say, then you're not really listening to what I'm saying. That's my weakness. That's where I've stumbled most in our marriage is because I'm a prophet. And in that strength, the enemy has used it in ways that have many times wounded a marriage, wounded a marriage partner. And I would have been the first to say, but that's just who I am. I'm strong there. Ladies and gentlemen, what the Holy Spirit has been given to us for, his job in us is to bring us to what we're not. When we're strong, we're not able to be merciful, but we can be. When we're merciful, we're not able to be strong, but we can be. When we're strong in earnings, we are strong in giving, but we can be cautious in control. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us all. And temptations and trials and testings come not only because they're part of God's plan for our life and not only because uh, the fact that they come immediately after spiritual experiences and mountaintop experiences, but we need to understand they sometimes come at the point of our strength rather than our weaknesses. You see, the Bible says pride goes before a fall for a good reason. Anybody proud of your weakness? No. But our strength. Oh, I've preached sermons, pastored years. I'm proud of that. Where will the temptation and testing come? When somebody who hasn't been to Bible college stands to teach and I believe I ought to be the one. Oh, what the Lord wants of me is to hear his servant as he shares his heart. And I'm tested in that way many times. Are you following me here? I'll close with this because of time. There's one other thing I'd mention there. A couple on your notes you can take with you. But one other thing I'd mention, and that's this. In verse 13 it says, when all the temptation was over, the devil left him for a little while. In fact, I love what the NLA said, until a more opportune time. In other words, Trials and temptations and testings are never over in your lifetime. Some people make the mistake of thinking, I faced this trial and I've learned the lesson. Now I have victory in it. And they don't know. No, you don't understand. Temptations and testings and trials will be there until the day the trumpet sounds. Until Jesus returns. I loved crossings for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. I don't even have time to name them all. Steve's one of the main ones. Our pastor Marty's one of the main ones. A worship leader one. I love them for all those reasons. But one of the reasons I love it is because we've got so many young people, so many young couples. But the real reason I love it is because there's so many white-headed people around. <laughs> I love that. When you get our age, our hair either turns white or turns loose. You've heard that statement many, many times. You know what mine's done. 
I am. You know, I want, and I said this two weeks ago, I want to grow old graciously. I want to be learning more about the Lord Jesus in my fourth quarter than I am any quarter ever before. I told you about Bob and Inez Bozart two weeks ago, that couple at Borger first where I was pastoring that I learned to love so dearly. Learning in their mid-80s now with the Lord years and years. Learned so much in their mid-80s about winning people to Jesus, sharing their faith and all of that kind of thing. I want to grow old gracefully. But this passage of Scripture reminds me that the devil can play havoc in a fellowship through an 80-year-old as quickly as he can an 18 or a 28-year-old. Do you understand what I'm saying? Temptations and trials and testing are never over. There'll be an opportune time for him to come. But here's the final one, and I'm done. Temptation and trials and testing, because of our pioneers showing it, only prepares us for the greatest things that lie ahead. When Jesus finished, he was finished in the anointing of the Spirit, and a fame of him went about all over the region, and his three-year ministry was begun. Can I tell you that the Scripture at least implies right there that the testing you're facing right now the trial you're facing right now, you have no answer to, you have no understanding of why, it, the pain is beyond measure, do you realize that in the purposes and plans of God, he's only getting you ready for the greatest thing he'll ever do in your life if you'll only respond to him. In 1987, we got the call. She was born, our granddaughter, now 30 years old, Worst case of spina bifida Waco, Texas had ever seen. Wheelchair all of her life. Never marry. Head filled with water. Two weeks into her birth, channels had to be built in to relieve the water. All that kind of stuff. They said, you'll have her 10 to 14 years. We've had her 30. Can't tell you the weeping. Can't tell you the pain. Can't tell you the questions of why. But I can tell you now, 30 years later, we've learned some of the greatest spiritual lessons we could possibly ever learn. I wouldn't do it again for $5 million, but I wouldn't take $5 million for what I've learned with that granddaughter these last 30 years. Now, Jesus is our pioneer. He stacked the stones, chipped the trees, marked the way. Temptation, trials, and testings are part of God's plan for our life. They usually come immediately after our greatest spiritual experiences. They can come at our point of strength. So be careful where we think we stand. They're never over in our lifetime. But if we respond to them positively, Seeing the Lord in the midst of them, they'll only prepare us for the greatest thing He'll ever do in our life. Now, that's one of the things that I learned several years ago for myself, and I love passing it along, and I appreciate the way 
you've been here today to receive it. So, um, uh, you know, when a car runs out of gas, it stops. And uh, time is, to a teacher of the word, a little bit like gas. You want to be careful not to run on fumes. It's time that we go. And so I want to pronounce a benediction upon you. Here is our benediction. Hug five necks and shake five hands before you get out of here, okay? But do get out of here. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning.